Yo, what's up? Uh, it's another day, August 26, 2020, Wednesday. Another uh, free episode of Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours, your favorite black Marxist pod- political podcast. Um, follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter and SoundCloud.com slash Real Sankara Hours and Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. All that fun stuff. And also please support the Resistance Dwa, uh podcast network. Um, yeah, today is... Got, we got shit. <laughs> it's uh, I wasn't sure what we we're gonna talk about this week when we recorded last week, but like uh, it, we it kind of made itself clear, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it did. So we're gonna, <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, okay, so uh, obviously we're gonna be talking about the the. Oh, oh we should introduce ourselves first. Oh, right, yeah. So, uh, I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson Five on Twitter. And this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. Uh, so, yeah, uh, in case you haven't heard, um, <laughs> Kenosha, Wisconsin has been uh, lit up. Yeah, I mean, um, it, uh, not by the natural wildfires that are currently lighting up California, which are still going on, but uh, there's a little bit been a little bit more containment because we talked we talked about that the last episode. But to kind of update the 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 fires are still burning, but there's been more containment. But right now in Wisconsin, like there's yeah, it's been lit up because of the police shooting of Jacob Blake, who was shot an unarmed black man who b- broke up a fight and was shot eight Try. times in the back, trying to get into back into the car of his. With of his family members, yeah, something like his, that. Yeah, his sons, his family were in the car. He had just broken up a fight, so I guess like I, I'm, the, some of the details are kind of funny, fuzzy. But it, I, it seemed like he thought that the situation was over with, or I don't know. But anyway, he's been he was shot in the back. Uh, it, it's like seven or eight times, right? Um, yeah. But now he's well, he's alive. Which thank is God, mir- which is yeah. which is a miracle. <laughs> Yeah, um, he's in a coma, but he is paralyzed from the waist down. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's good that he's alive, but he's Thanks. he Thank should. Thank God he, for the poor aim of the Kenosha Police Department. But it's it's just something that shouldn't have happened in the first Obvi- place, obviously. <laughs> but um, anyway, so now like there's been protests and uh, uprising, rebellion, or so-called riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I think they um, burned down an entire dealership. They also burned down a corrections facility. Hell yeah. Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin uh, corrections I mean, we facility. don't support any legal activity on this podcast, but... <laughs> There's no no, um, no sympathy for the correction facility, let's just say right. that. Right, yes. Uh, uh, and so to, so recently this happened, I guess, like, um, technically last night, but the news came out today. Um, there was basically an armed white... Some people call him a vigilante. Sometimes I hesitate using the word terrorist, but like I mean, he was. I'll just call basic... him a terrorist. Old yeah, like punk a... ass bitch. Yeah, <laughs> armed domestic white terrorist. Seventeen-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, killed two. One is injured. One person was shot. So it was at a protest, and there's um, basically armed white militia at these protests, along with um, Black Lives Matter protesters, like black people and other non-black comrades and allies. So there's like a confrontation between those two sides. 
And, uh, you know, the militia is like, we're just trying to look out for the fucking riders and the looters. And so Protect this kid. Law and order. Law so and this, order. this fucking little shit uh, doesn't even live in Wisconsin. He lives in Illinois. So he drove yeah. basically like, I think, 15 miles across state lines because Kenosha is right on the border between Wisconsin and Illinois. So he drove from Illinois to Wisconsin with his gun, his AR-15, 17 years old. And he has a record of being in like the back, back the blue, blue. Yeah, he want he wanted to be a cop. Fucking idiot! Yep. Don't you realize you have to be a cop first before you get away with murder? You don't right. like like like. Hold on, dude. Like like literally, this motherfucker could not even wait to get the badge before he started killing. Mm. Yeah, like like he was ready to go. Yeah, he had all that fucking Call of Duty, man. He just he was ready to go. Yeah, so seven, his name is Kyle Rittenhouse, or Kyle Rittenfuck, um, 17 years old, with an assault rifle, so he shot, there, there, someone, um, there is a, there are a lot of, uh, of, uh, video journalists there who are covering the protest, so I did find a four minute, uh, four minutes and 20 second, um, clip of the series of events, it's very graphic, um, so I would not, like don't don't watch like this you know violent snuff this is a lot of stuff in snuff films but i'm only sharing it because it shows a series of events that led up to it so um in the video it showed like basically there is one protester who was unarmed but it looked like he was trying to um get the uh gun away from him because he was clearly he clearly had the, the rifle with him and there's a ton of unarmed protesters so there are people who are trying to disarm him they were trying to to get the rifle away from him so one person i think tried to do it but he got shot in the head and that was caught on camera and then protesters went to the guy and were trying to help him out and then they said you know he shot him he shot him so people they're letting him know people know that this kid shot a guy in the head then this kid starts running down the street with his yeah. gun and then it's so there are other uh, there are other protesters who are trying to get the gun away from him because again the protesters said he shot someone so there's another there are another other people who are trying to disarm him one person was shot in the arm and injured and another person was shot in the head in the chest and died so the person who i want to i want to give his name just out of respect uh hold on let me find um I uh I'm blank. Okay, I'm trying to find. Uh, it was there is a, a um I think he's like a white anti-fascist and he had a skateboard and he used his skateboard to basically knock away, nice. um, knock away uh the assault rifle, but he was unsuccessful. So, um, yeah, Kyle Rittenfuck shot him in the chest, and you can see in the video that he he just he was he's on the ground and that's when he. That's when he died. Um, uh, so yeah, like that was. I don't recommend um, wa- uh, watching the actual suffering, like the actual the the, the spectacle of of death. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not watching it. <laughs> no, don't. Please, just don't. Okay, now I know. Okay, Anthony Huber or Huber. Um, so that's his. I, w- I want to at least you know pay pay his respect. Um. Anthony, uh, it's either Huber or Huber, H-U-B-E-R, Anthony. Um, He was the guy in the video who had a skateboard and tried to knock the rifle out of um, written houses or written fucks hands. And he 
unfortunately, yeah, he died because the 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 kid was able to was able to position a rifle and, and shoot him in the chest. So I want to at least you know rest in power, rest in peace, Anthony. Um, yeah, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's just really like, um, you know, I don't even though we talk about like you know uh um people engaging in in militant activity you know i also don't i don't want people to die um i you know and i i don't want to aggressively push for anything that could that could get people hurt but at the same time like you know when people are rightfully angry in the streets i'm also not going to condemn that but it's just like you know when i heard about anthony and saw his face i'll just like oh fuck it's just so yeah yeah, my heart my heart out to to him and his family and i you know he he did something i think courageous which was to try to help other people and he unfortunately lost his life to a goddamn racist violent piece of shit and um Anyway, yeah. So I, I want to. I'll, I'll, I'll put that video. But again, it's it's very graphic content. But it's just so people can see again the series of events because already people, especially the far right, they're trying to say like, oh, it was in self defense. Yeah, yeah like, they're gonna turn. I'm I'm positive. I mean, Tucker Carlson was already doing this. You know, little fat face Goebbels that he is. Um, yeah, is, is our they're gonna make him into a celebrity? And we were joking. I was joking. Before we start recording now like the covington catholic kids gonna have to start killing and everyone's gonna have to step up their game or something mm-hmm. if they want to have the same level of celebrity i mean i you know i don't know i've he's been charged with murder but notably yeah. not by the kenosha police exactly he, he walked like right through the police line and was just like yo what's up i mean he probably thought he was like super cool and there's like who the this kid really done fucked everything up. I mean, well, no. <laughs> and also like, I mean, there is plenty of video footage showing that like the cops are very like they didn't do anything to the armed no. militias. They were very no, like, they, yeah, they just they just, some... they just let them happen. I mean, it's the same thing where I mean, this you know, there's footage of this in Seattle too, like Proud Boys in Portland, like, like yeah, they show up, they they do terrorism, and then they just like hang out with the police afterwards and it's all mm-hmm. and then they probably all go get drinks afterwards you know it's it's all it's all very chummy i mean they pr- they didn't know this kid but it's you know, like the police are not gonna do anything um thankful i mean thankfully the police the prosecutor in the town that he actually lives in in illinois like <laughs> um, yeah charged him and it's on video Mm-hmm. So it's, I feel like it might be hard to refute, but this could, I mean, I'm sure a lot of rich racist pieces of shit are going to get him like a really good lawyer and it's going to be turned into a show trial or something. I don't know. Um, this is. <laughs> so actually, um, there is video. I'll put this, t- I'll put this, it's in a tweet. Someone um, caught image of it and the Kenosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, I think this is after he shot someone in the head uh shot the person in the head um he's on his cell phone and he's running and you can kind of hear him and he said i shot somebody <laughs> yeah he's on his cell phone he's like yeah. i shot somebody I, I, he's, is he calling his dad dad yeah, he's probably like the armed militia i'm, re- I'm really in trouble now dad i killed someone right now son 
you know, because where is he going to get that gun, right? From his fucking father. Exactly. Or parents, right? And it's like, son, we told you, can't kill anyone until you become a police officer. It's like, I'm sorry, you know, deteriorate. Like, I, I don't... You know, actually, actually, then he'll probably then when the dad shows up, it's like, you know, actually, son, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. You did what you had to do. You're a real man. <laughs> you're, 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 yes, yes. You give pride to the written written house name. Yeah, and the white race. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's pretty much. I mean, like, I'm pretty much like if you go on like those alt right threads, like that's pretty much how they're reacting. Like, oh yeah, yeah, he's a real fucking man now. And this is something like you know we're we're kind of being glib with this to basically take take the sting. Yeah, of this yeah. Shit. But I've, it, I've 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 my sense of humor has gotten infinitely more morbid in the past couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. So so yeah, like our humor is just morbid just to take the piss out of out of the pain. But but the. You know, this is pretty. This is pretty fucking serious. This is this is this is no joke. That there yeah. there is a, a an organized, armed and well trained group of white far right racist militias, and Rittenhouse like he's just one of them, and yeah. they are being aided and abetted not just by like these alt right like four chan eight chan threads, but they're also being aided and abetted by the entire Republican Party and the Republican establishment. Yeah, that's he like that mm-hmm. is the Republican base right there. And there's also a picture of Kyle at a Trump rally, I think not too long ago. There's oh. a pic. There's a picture of him. He was standing at a Trump rally not too far from Trump. And he so, could, man, they couldn't even get, he couldn't even get coronavirus. Come on. Yeah, no. Ugh. Ugh. Um. But um, I, I mean, like, yeah, this is yeah, this is no fucking joke. And um, uh. I said, uh, I'll say this, because I said this in a tweet recently, and I've been, something I want to get off my chest, because um, I've been writing about police brutality for years, and I know, like, um, uh, the the book I co-authored, um, Who Do You Serve, Who Do You Protect, uh, published by Truth Out in Haymarket, like, that's being read, and so I, I've been seeing it on, on pictures of people's bookshelves and stuff, so, you know, I've, I've been writing about this stuff for you know, almost a decade at this point. And as a black writer and journalist, and now with this podcast, I'd say just commentator slash podcaster, the podcast market, I've entered the (laughs) podcast market. Um, Like I, I'm not comfortable writing about black suffering without offering some kind of positive vision for, for black people. And I think, um, Actually, Peter, I don't know if you've read this, but I'd like to discuss it with you because I want to get your mm-hmm. thoughts on it. But this, all this, this, what I'm going to say is going to dovetail into, into this because this is something we've been talking about. But like a lot of the black commentariat discourse, the anti-racist discourse, the punditry, whatever, blah blah blah. Um, it's just a lot of times it's like writing about black suffering to a non-black audience, but when it comes to specifics in terms of what to do. And what what what's the vision like? What's the sort of end vision, or what would you like to see for black people? Oftentimes, like that that discourse doesn't go anywhere. So that's why I I I push for Pan Africanism as a positive vision forward for black people. And it's also a reason why I'm a member of Global Pan Africanism Network. But it's like you know, writing about black suffering and writing about black suffering for a non-black audience. That's not going to bring us any kind of liberation or salvation. And I think that the anti-racism industry that's been been propped up and definitely kicked into high gear since the death of George Floyd, 
um, a lot of it is just like writing about black suffering and how bad racism is to a non-black audience. But there's it doesn't yield any tangible results, and it doesn't offer a positive vision that actually ends black suffering. Like I, there, I'm of the belief that it is possible to live in a world where black suffering is not a thing. Like that, black people can actually be fully free and alive and have full sovereignty as human beings. The The current world does not make it so, and the current world is structured to prevent that from happening. So I'm of the belief that it's important for us to take matters into our own hands, push for a positive vision, but also make it real right now and for the future. So, um... It, yeah, like when I saw, like when I saw the just the video of those, those protesters getting shot, like I I don't, you know, I don't want, you know, people just going out and no. getting killed. I want something better. And even for people who are not black, because look, there's plenty of y'all who listen to our podcast who are not black, and we appreciate it. But I also think it's like, uh, there there is a role that non-black people play in this struggle. So I I, I try to push for something that's a, a positive vision and also like what are what are some specific things that people can do to to, to make things better and I, I don't think the anti-racism mm-hmm. discourse like i don't think that gets us anywhere no uh so wait so what are you going to read uh have you read this um this article came out in boston review uh about oh, no. <laughs> i don't trust boston review Sorry. <laughs> uh the, the article's not that bad hold on let me let me pop it up uh it let me find this article is titled the literature of white liberalism and mm-hmm. um the popular new genre of anti-racist nonfiction seeks to educate white readers about race but it does not center more powerful critiques from the black radical tradition um uh i'm gonna like so okay so i take it you haven't read it peter right no i mean i can i'm sure i can understand i'm sure i can guess what it's mostly about yeah so it's basically a critique of um ibram kendi's how to be an anti-racist crystal fleming's how to be less stupid about race and then there's someone else less uh, stupid that's that's the bar we, we're setting <laughs> not e- not even ed- educating yourself just being less stupid yeah wonderful stuff there guys why not you know these people these people will wither away into a husk before they even mention the words political economy i mean it's just i don't i don't want to get sidetracked on it um yeah i don't want to i don't want to delve too much into it but um basically it essentially its fundamental thesis is that um a lot of these anti-racist books are like self-help books but they don't draw any kind of inspiration from more, from more uh, radical critiques from the black radical tradition in term and um she, uh she she mentions um you know uh, other stuff and i think it's i think it's worth reading a lot of people have read it and shared it and have said good things but the the, the main thing i want to add i don't want to dive too deep into this but maybe i don't know maybe for another episode we can do a deeper dive or, or so if it's if, if it's worth it but um uh i i think that um, when it comes to, uh, what to do, what, well, n- n- let me backtrack. Well, I think the whole, the, another failure of this anti-racism ministry is again, just, just writing about 
how shitty it is to be black to non-black people, but it's like, okay, you know, we've been doing that a lot, but I don't see mm-hmm. what that gets for black people. Like, what's the like, what's the end result of that thing? Uh, it gets it gets publishing deals for those particular black people, right? And, yeah, and and that is and their personal advancement is by definition in their own formulation then pushes forward the cause of liberation you know like jay-z style black accumulation of wealth is inherently political or something like that i don't know well i actually think yeah that that pretty much is the end result it's like okay there are black writers who get publishing deals by white owned publishing industry so it's not like that there's any sort of institutional capacity is built for black people it's like oh okay like someone a writer gets paid look i support black writers getting paid like because a lot of times they're underpaid so so that's a good thing but that doesn't equal uh power or salvation i'm glad black writers are making money and supporting themselves because you know black people gotta eat and racism Mm -hmm. makes it difficult for us to make enough money to survive so it to the extent that black people make money that you know they make enough to support themselves and their family i'm fine with that but that's not that's not a um a vision for like what what it like what does a world beyond white supremacy look like like that should be the question and i think i think like for black writers who write about race or anybody who writes about race it's so weird like i'm i'm writing about race okay what huh like okay what's the goal because for me like that's why i said like i have a goal like i'm writing about black suffering but it's not for the sake of writing about black suffering i'm writing about it as a way to to push toward an actual vision and an end goal versus like okay write about race and black suffering but what's the end goal what's the vision like what's what what are we doing um the the bonus episode um, that I did with um, Lily from Vanguard Army, like the point we were talking about that is that it's not enough for, just for white people to burn shit. Like they're actually black people actually need like basically our own vision and 10 point program. Like we need community control, mm-hmm. self-determination, like a very specific list of things that we actually need. Um, and I think any kind of black talking head commentary discourse um, if you're missing that part, then I don't see where it goes other than just like, let's just sit at a table with black people and other white people and non-black people. And let's just talk about race and talk about race and talk about race and how it makes you feel. And what black people talk about like, you know what? Like racism is so fucking bad. And the white person's like, oh my God. Wow. I, 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 I just yeah, did not yeah, know oh, that. The oh, the oh my God thing is, is always a little like, okay, thanks. Thanks, guys. Right. And it's like, we've been in this rodeo for a long fucking time. Like, this has been done before. But yeah. where does it take us? <laughs> Versus like, okay, well, you, you can talk to Pan-Africanist or Black Marxist or, or anyone in the Black radical tradition as, as like, not just a critique of the system, but as a vision forward for black people that we're not just critiquing the system just to critique it, but it's critiquing it so that we can build something better. Like that should, there should be some sort of goal, like stated beyond just critiquing Mm -hmm. for the sake of critique in a circle full of black and non-black people and be like, let's just talk about race and all hug each other and talk about how it makes us feel. Yeah. I, I retweeted something that someone else tweeted, which is, I'll just read it. It says widespread revival of black nationalism would be the key to turning this into a real actionable movement, 
instead of hand-wringing over the definition of policing, but it would be so difficult to pull off with how white supremacist the quote-unquote left has become. And I felt like Ooh. that is, that is, that's, that's basically it. I mean, as far as Ooh, where I can... I'm I'm reading this again. I want to read it again. Hold, this is good. Okay. <laughs> Widespread revival of black nationalism would be the key to turning this into a real actionable movement instead of hand-wringing over the definition of policing, but it would be so difficult to pull off with how white supremacist the quote-unquote left has become. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, pan-Africanist black nationalists, that, that would be the, the dual power to... Mm-hmm force a concession and, and that's what i mean like okay like this is why i bring up pan-africanism it's beyond just like wearing your dashiki and changing your name and going to africa like it's beyond that like i mean look hey look at this point america is in such deep shit that if black people want to leave and go to africa that's that's re- that's reasonable at this point like if you yeah, if, you're, if, if, if you have a passport right if you you know like and these are usually black people with a little bit um more means and so that speaks to you know class divide within the black community but what i'm saying is that um thanks to the internet it's easier to find out what africa is really like and so if you are a black person who um has a passport and is willing to save up the money um looking at at africa is a viable alternative beyond whatever ideology you have. Like in in terms of like let's I just want to live a normal life as a black person without anti-blackness being such a thing that prevents mm-hmm. me from living like an a self-actualized and free person. Um leaving America and going to Africa or even maybe another country is a, is 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 a rational alternative. That's a rational decision. And so the point I make about pan-africanism is that it's beyond just because I, I made this tweet like a while ago and it, it kind of a lot of people shared it. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain it further that black people, for the most part, in the United States, like we're largely a powerless people. We protest and we can shift the discourse, but we don't have like real institutional, material, economic and political power. The only way we can get shit done is literally like by rioting in the streets because that's the only thing we can do because we're powerless. So that becomes the only alternative to get things done. But um, when you're in that kind of position and if you just limit the fight to the United States, um, you're kind of hamstrung versus if you recognize that blackness is global, that there are black people in, in the Americas, throughout the diaspora, in Africa. Like if you recognize that blackness as a subjectivity as a consciousness as a sense of being is a global being that being black is is a global identity and a global sense of self that means you can start linking up with other black people throughout the world because there also is a black lives matter movement in france by the way so that means like okay the 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 best alternative and the rational right and the uk yeah so the best alternative rationally to get things done for black people is global black unity and solidarity and working with each other that is more realistic versus anything that's been proposed in the united states for black people then yes it is that building a pan-africanist movement is more practical and pragmatic than you know trying to get full equality and integration into you know this horrendous you know trash heap we call a country and right. it's not and it's not about utopian visions it's about having backup 
I think. Exactly. It's a plan B. That's all. It's an insurance policy. That's okay. what I mean. It's beyond just like, you know, sort of myopic, like, you know, going to Africa, we're in dashiki or like that kind of like, no, no, no. Like, you don't need to go and retreat to an African village. Although if you wanted to, and if you could do that, I would not begrudge you. Honestly, that seems more reasonable than the fucking shit we have to deal with here. But if, if you don't want to do that, Pan-Africanism is basically backup. It's a plan B. It's an insurance policy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rational. Like, that's what I'm trying to... When I talk about Pan-Africanism, I'm talking about it in a clear, rational, common it sense you, form of survival. That's takes it. You, takes you from 45 million people to a billion. Exactly. And, and that's and power. That yeah. that That is mm-hmm. leverage. That's power. So... And this tweet that you retweet, I think, is, is a really good example. It points to this, that, that if you revive um, not just black nationalism, but pan-Africanism, it, it would turn the movement into something, like, with a lot yeah. more weight. Yeah, and, more it makes, weight. and it makes you not dependent on, like, whether or not white people get it. Or, exactly. Or not. And, and, exactly. <laughs> it was the same thing that, like, Paul, uh, pan-Africanists like Paul Cuffey and Martin Delaney realized during slavery. Because pan-Africanism really started... In the diaspora during slavery, so pan African pan Africanism yeah. has always it's kind, been yeah, it's, it's kind of for the diaspora, if anything. Right, right, yeah. But um, that again, like when I talk about positive vision, that's what I mean. Is that like, look, like the, you have to at least propose like some sort of rational alternative that makes sense beyond just being it myopic and just reading books and and whatever. And yeah, like pan Africanism means and black nationalism means that. Black people take control of our own destiny in our own hands, which, w- w- in that sense, there really is no role that white people can play in that. Other, other than to just get out of the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, that, I mean yeah. some people in strategic sectors, you know, or with technical skills, like, can be of use. And, like, exactly. Those people, you know, when asked, it is your duty to just, you know, help out. Right. Without asking too many questions or trying to make it about you, right? Uh, but yeah, overall, it isn't necessarily that. Always that. I mean, I you know, I think there's still something to be said for building those kind of you know coalitions and yeah, trying to work towards a common uh, future on this continent. But you can't put all your eggs in one basket, and exactly. you can't count. You can't make your entire liberation be dependent on you know other people getting it when it's right. not necessarily in their interest to quote unquote get it um that and, so. and and that's what the whole anti-racism discourse relies on because i mean like when people i've been seeing all these debates about like what should non-black people do and you and i we, we co-hosted a discussion uh about black power Kwame Torres black power in chapter three the myths of coalition building and like we discussed that on the resistance to want tw- uh, uh twitch stream and basically i think t- uh Kwame Torres like he had the best response a better response than any of this race anti-racist discourse which is that look black people have to take control of our own destiny first we got to do that mm-hmm. first like we have to do that and we can't let white people or other non-black people get in the way. Like we have to control our own destiny first, so that we can empower ourselves to take matters into our own hands without people interfering. However, I mean, not however. On top of that, if people outside the black community do want to help, 
there are specific ways they can help. And yeah, it often is like offering material support, any kind of technical skills that the black struggle needs, you can contribute to it. You can provide financial support, um, those sorts of things. Um, And also uh, you can educate and push and challenge the non-black people in your space to embrace the need for black liberation and educate people like those are those are things that because especially being a member of gpan i've been thinking about this too like okay like uh non-black people like what would be their role and it's like look in this organization like there really is no role like you're not allowed in it if you're not Mm -hmm. black but um you know if you want to help it's like eh, you know i don't know like how much i would want outside help but if they if don't, if don't call us we'll call you right there per, yeah perfect don't call <laughs> us we'll call you and if you if you want to help ask and we'll determine our own terms uh how you can be of service but that that to me is i think a lot more reasonable like it's a it's a much more reasonable way of helping black people beyond just like the anti-racism discourse uh because it that discourse doesn't bring any like specific tangible things and and this kind of makes me think of the uh i mean the protests like look i mean the that man you know rest his soul anthony huber like he did do something that like i i actually think is a movie he was trying to help people in that moment yeah and I mean, yeah i mean I, I, yeah i feel like him and then summer taylor who we talked about in seattle who died when they were uh, run over by a car at a protest mm-hmm. and it is like those are the white people who are a- able to like act with their humanity um, right right and it is actually they prove that it's possible and it's horrible that you know, they have to die for to in order for that to be showcased but it yeah. is that is the nature of the system and it's yeah i mean look i'm <laughs> If you know me, like I'm a softy, I'm not like I'm not any an aggressive person in any way, but <laughs> I'm also not an idiot. And like I wish, look, look, if we could do all this shit with voting, then yes, let's get to the polls and then we can go home and mission accomplished. But that's not how history works. It's not how any of this stuff works, and it's a constant struggle. Um, I do, I did want to get back into Kenosha just. Yeah, to provide a little bit of context because yes, when I saw yeah. when I saw first saw like the tweets and you know that stuff's popping off in Kenosha, I was I was like I was I was a little confused or at least surprised, but not really in the sense of like Kenosha is one of, it's one of those like small cities that's like kind of in the Rust Belt um, and is like. One of those towns you'd hear in like, uh, like the like the Johnny Cash song "I've Been Everywhere" or whatever, you know. Or there's like naming random towns, you know. There's uh, I think in Home Alone, like John Candy is a polka band, and they're from Kenosha, the Kenosha Kickers, and that's like, oh <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the movie Home Alone, and so that's like the thing that I thought of, or like that's probably the thing Kenosha is most known for something is you know it's like kalamazoo or something but right yeah wisconsin is you know i mean midwestern racism is its own beast and i you know being from the midwest have i don't know a 
let's say bias, but I feel like it is, you know, I have a different perspective on it. And the thing that I find it to be scarier than like other forms of racism, because it's very much like the Midwestern consciousness is not, it doesn't have the same guilt. There's, you know, like the East Coast, there's, there's an understanding, you know, New England or whatever, or, you know, down to New York, like that racism is like, yeah, we understand it's fucked up. But like, we're too smart to, uh, you know, we're we just white people just happen to be the smartest people around. And like, our understanding of racism is just proof of our intelligence. And the South is like, you know, much more kind of obviously violent and like, gutter you know libidinal i feel like it's it's much more emotional and and passionate but the midwest is very it's very like just a sense of righteousness and just like because it's you know the midwest were free states um so they don't have like the same kind of confederacy hangover and it's just like this fundamental sense of like no these are the rules like everyone follows the rules and so when we do racism, it's because someone wasn't following the, that black person wasn't following the rules, and that's all that it is. And I bring this up because Wisconsin is probably one of the worst <laughs> states, maybe like up there with Indiana. I mean, look, all, racism is terrible everywhere in the country, but Wisconsin right. is like it for kind of it's like still the '80s up there. Um, and Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities, like, in the country. Like, you can look up the map. Like, people did, like, maps of, like, uh, segre- you know, say- basically mapping segregation. And it's, like, if you look at Detroit, it is literally eight-mile road. Is like, one side is all white, one side is all black. And Milwaukee is kind of a similar dynamic. And there are reasons for that. Like, it didn't, the urban core didn't get hollowed out at the same time as other uh you know midwestern cities um and so there's kind of like historical reasons for why it developed the way it did and why wisconsin now is like you know more of a hotbed for republicanism compared to its neighbor minnesota but all of this is to say that it makes sense that that wisconsin would be a place that has been long simmering uh i remember in 2012 or in 2014, this is is when this like case got publicity. But this was also in Wisconsin. Uh, a teenager named Corey Stingley was, I guess, apparently trying to shoplift alcohol from like a, a corner store, and the corner store owner and like two of his buddies basically beat him to death and were mm. never charged. Um, this is, you know, in the kind of stand your ground type laws or something. I don't know, but they were never charged and they just beat him to death. And there's a, a vice documentary on it. I, um, and it's, it's, you know, that's the kind of thing in, in the Midwest where I feel like it's just people just, they just have this sense of righteousness and, or white people specifically have this sense of righteousness and sometimes that can be go that sometimes that's good too in that like a lot of times there's a lot of lefties who are you know have a lot of heart and a lot of convictions and act them out instead of you know being a little more of a trendy type thing in you know maybe like the west coast or something mm-hmm. um but it's 
it's yeah it's just its own scary beast um in its own right but also one of the things that i think makes this moment different than say 68 is that it in 68 you know there were riot 68 67 right there were riots in you know major cities you know newark detroit chicago etc right and here now we we're having things in places that are not just like the major urban centers you know ferguson missouri obviously kenosha wisconsin i mean it's happening everywhere and people are kind of waking up and also the more it happens the more like the police and the white supremacist forces in any given location dig in and you know they're the police are a blunt force uh, instrument they like <laughs> yeah it's 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 that that's the blunt force of the ruling class you know they they also have the fine hand of you know the liberals and the establishment you know, nonprofit establishments and all that stuff. That's the fine and social workers. That that's like the fine hand, and the police are the blunt force. Um, and that you know they're going to dig in if they see their power threatened. And you know, <laughs> turns out that like yes, killing people or shooting people in you know in front of everyone in the back does like cause concerns of legitimacy of the ruling authorities and you know this is this is just going to keep going because this american system is incapable of actually solving the problem right uh, it, it was just antithetical to the way this current order is structured and so you will we will see more of this stuff um the boogaloo people who talk about like the next civil war or whatever it's kind of it almost really kind of makes sense to say it's already here in the sense that like this is like these altercations are going to continue and they're going to get more lethal and you know at some point probably there's going to be you know like the guy in uh dallas right uh which i mean i i may have some questions about that but there's going to be people who you know then start shooting cut just start shooting cops or, you know, start shooting up Proud Boys. I'm not going to lie. When I see a bunch of Nazis, the first thing I want to do is kill them all. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. And, like, that I even have to see them uh, is pretty, you know, infuriating and kind of humiliating in its own right. And it's like, yes, all I want to do is kill them um, as brutally as possible. I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not ashamed to say I'm not going to waste energy trying to, like, be you know some sort of holier than thou you know liberal or whatever and like extend my sympathy to them no i want them all dead um and i know i'm not the only person who thinks that way so at some point people may start retaliating uh and you know things will just kind of escalate and it'll just kind of be like a tit for tat just kind of ongoing low-grade insurgency but the state won't collapse there won't, right. there won't be like a total collapse of the state um, that will keep going. I mean, it may have less legitimacy, especially in places where just there's no capitalism has no role for it, like sacrifice zones, you know, parts of the Rust Belt or, you know, eastern Appalachia or, you know, the Central Valley or, you know, places like that that are just kind of <laughs> there. 
um, you know, that there may be less of an erosion of authority, but I mean, on a state and federal level, I mean, those, those systems are not going to collapse anytime soon. So all that is to say, like, this is like, we're in it now, like we're in it. Um, and people need to approach it from that perspective that like we like this is a militant life or death struggle that we're in and you know we are it is it is essentially a war um of sorts right it's a class war i mean it's a war against a racist system um it is you know war against an imperial system um might as well bring up that uh gaza has you know that that remember gaza um it's israel has been bombing it for three weeks um i i don't know i don't even think there's an election i think they just you know every now and then israel just gets itchy and they have to go uh mow the lawn as they say um Mm. but (laughs) they also gaza like just got its first uh covid cases so it also has to lock down as if it hasn't been through enough um, uh, you know, just, sorry, just uh, just to add on uh, about particularly yeah. Kenosha. And so two things, um, the Kenosha police chief, Daniel Miskinis, um, basically blamed the protesters for the uh, th- the deaths of those two protests. I, I, thought, I thought police chiefs were supposed to be woke. Right. Yeah. I thought that was a thing now. Yeah. Guess not. Um. Anyway, he said. Persons who were out after the curfew became engaged in some type of disturbance and persons were shot. Man, I love that passive language. Some type God, some, persons someone were tweeted sh- God's here use of the passive voice. Right. Persons is, were shot. Yeah, it's amazing. And then some type of disturbance. Everybody involved was out after the curfew. I'm not going to make a great deal of that, but the point of the point is the curfew <laughs> is in place to protect. Have persons not been out involved in violation of that perhaps a situation that unfolded would not have happened now the kid 17 years old was out after curfew with a gun (laughs) where he shouldn't have been i mean obviously that's illegal crossing state lines and so were the 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 militia people they were violating curfew but so it's like okay they're all violating curfew but that's not the thing you should be worried about like the thing you should be worried about is that like two people were shut were basically fucking murdered right there yeah. on camera this is this is actually kind of what i'm saying about midwestern racism is like yeah yeah but they broke the rules can't break the rules yeah so you know what happened to him happened to him it's well like, and it's uh, also like it shows that like the what whatever sense of law and order that the police are enforcing is is not is not a literal sense of law and order because no. this is like i mean i don't like it you can't get more clear on how quote-unquote illegal what this kid did 17 years old <laughs> with a gun crossing state lines which i don't like if you if that's not an intent to murder i don't know what is so yeah. it, i mean like that's just like first degree murder right there and especially these are the, he shot two people well he shot three people technically two were, are dead who are trying to disarm him basically trying to enforce quote-unquote law and order because there was someone with a fucking gun at a protest and especially when people always complain yeah. about like, well, what about the looters and the violence? Like, well, this is the most clear cut case of violence that did not have to happen um, where two people were murdered 
But those same people who are like, well, I can't support Black Lives Matter because people are burning the buildings and da 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 Wait, well, two people are dead, so where are you on that? Yeah. Where the fuck? Like- I mean, I mean, you, you can burn down 10 dealerships. You can burn down 100 dealerships. I don't, like, in my mind, and I know that not every Amer- I a lot of Americans do not think this way, um, that they do believe property is more important than life. But I feel like, no, like, that's still not, doesn't, doesn't matter how bummed you get that your dealership got burned down or your corrections facility got burned down like that doesn't like that doesn't compare to losing a family member right losing a loved one from like the mur from like state sanctioned murder you know or maybe this is you know like it's it's yeah it's it's not even close. Um, also, there was a, de- uh, a owner of a car dealership in Kenosha that uh, got burned down, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share this because this is worth sharing. Um, and uh, apparently, the owners of the dealership said that they've sustained hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage because thanks because of the protests. And the insurer the insurers uh, said said they don't cover this type of destruction, but the yeah. owner said. But if it actually gets justice, sure, burn it twenty times. That's see, even even when even used car dealership owners can get it right. What excuse does anyone? Thank else you. Have? So I mean, like, yeah, like, he's like, look, if it gets justice, burn it. Because it's like, look, he, yes. he clearly sees that a human life is worth more than a fucking car. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like when even that when even they can get it, like, no, but none of you people have any excuse. You're just a racist piece of shit. That's all that it is, right? Um, and and anyway, <laughs> and, and and speaking of like racist piece of shit and being being um well, for, the reason why I said the police chief statement is that basically the police are aiding and abetting what that kid did in that situation. So it's not about law yeah. and order; it's about like the police see that like right. they're fundamentally on the same side as as the militias. So the police are going to give them essentially carte blanche to do what they want. So well, well, it's about it's about what law and order has always meant, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. It's not law and order in the literal sense it's not, that it's not literally the rule of law, right? Um, and so the Mark and Patricia McCloskey, if you guys remember them, um, they were the St. Louis couple who, um, on video and Bo- who voted for Obama, I believe. Yeah, they were pointed guns at protesters. Who were on their street? I mean, the, the protests were basically outside of. They weren't technically in yeah, their house. Yeah. No, they were just marching down the street in their little McMansion suburb, and like, like the whole reason those people live in those god awful, soul destroying places is so that they never have to look at you know someone like that. So then, when somebody marches down their street, they think they literally do think they're being invaded, um, and so yeah, they get out their guns to like. Not even hold correctly, right? Because they're fucking idiots. Uh, thank God they didn't try to use it. Um, so because you can't tell anymore. They uh, spoke at the Republican National Convention, and they were. Yep. And what they said is, "What you saw happen to us could just as easily happen to any of you who were watching from quiet neighborhoods around our country." And they said the Black Lives Matter protesters are. Marxist liberal activists and criminals. First, first of all, Mar- Marxist liberal. It's a contradiction in terms, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah. God damn it! All, all the shit we talk about liberals, and it's like, <laughs> why? How? Why can't the right bother to learn the terms correctly? Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Marxist liberal activists. Like Marxist liberal is a contradiction in terms. So, <laughs> not and they said 
is Mark McCloskey said, not a single person in the out of control mob that you saw at our house was charged with the crime. But you know who was? We were. They actually charged us with felonies for daring to defend our home. Well, you guys were brandishing guns at unarmed protesters who were not like Poor, brandishing them poorly right brandishing them in a way that showcased you didn't know how to hold them right and so they but the, I, I show that because it's like this is the republican party and this is who they are it's just it, the republican party yeah, is always it's it's, it's a and it's, it's a far right white nationalist party it, it's always been a safe haven for white supremacists but now the euphemism is gone like that there's no more euphemism in covering their racism yeah, it's just yeah there's no 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 dog whistles just actual whistles right yeah so um this is i mean them speaking at the rnc basically is is almost um sort of like so, it's, it's legitimate it's legit that's what I mean, legitimizing what this kid did so like if if these people are allowed to speak at the rnc then this some this kid can feel like okay i could just cross state lines and go kill you know mobsters or yeah. whatever because he's gonna feel emboldened and justified to do that by not not just yeah, like some I, 4chan thread but by the entire republican party yeah, and I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. If, and he could fucking walk. I mean, and then be a celebrity, right? And then have his own little TV show as a fucking murderer. I'm. Uh, um, that is that is like like let like let me be clear. Every like Kit Carson to all those fucking you know kind of Wild West folk heroes. That's exactly the same thing, right? Like they're all fucking Death Squad murderers mm-hmm. who became celebrities, right? Uh, so no, there's plenty of precedent for it in American history that this kid, this fucking punk ass bitch murderer, um, could end up, you know, having his own TV show or some shit or run for office. You know? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, only, I, I'm very, very sure that that's going to happen. I'm, I'm at this point. I, to me, it's not even like, you know, uh, whether it will happen. It's when it will happen. I. Oh, that'll walk. No, not, not even just that he'll oh. walk, but that he'll become a yeah. celebrity. I'm very, very. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's already infamous. I mean, yeah. you know, like could be like Dylan Roof. I mean, hopefully, you know, this is. I mean, look, we, you know, I support pro- prison abolition, but like, I suppose, you know, it, what I'll say is that I wouldn't even want to waste a jail cell on this on this piece of shit. Uh, yeah, fuck you him. know. <laughs> I mean, is is what I would say. Yeah, and um, uh, I. I yeah, I just wanted to um, share that because again, um, this is this is being enabled by the Republican National Convention, b- b- Republican National uh, Republican Party. It, what I mean by convention, because I was I was just kind of confusing things. Um, the actually the GOP convention um, got six times more views than the DNC on its first night. So this is you know this is this is yeah th- I... the Democrats could really fuck this up. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched some of the Democratic, some of the DNC, and I really did get the sense like, oh, my God, they really could actually blow this thing. It was so fucking bleak and depressing. And it was just like, yeah, there's nothing like they're not even trying. They're not like I watched other conventions in the past and you're all boring and stupid. But at least there's like, you know, you can understand why people get involved in it, like get hyped up about it. This is this was just oh. God, I felt like I understand stood the Zoomer mindset because like that was cursed. Hillary Clinton, like her speech. I, I'm sorry, but that was the abyss gazing back. Oh I mean, yeah, 
it was, you know, and then Obama, it's like, where did he, you know, he, he, he looked way too clean and just like, like, yeah, he was, he's been on David Geffen's yacht doing God knows what in international waters for four years. Then he has to come back and he, you know, he's feeling, he's fucking feeling himself and he's, eh, eh, you know, and it's like, dude, do you not understand like where everyone is right now? Everyone's going insane. Like, like, how can you, like, how, like, how is, how is this a look, you fucking weirdos? And then Elizabeth Warren with her stupid, you know, green screen. She's not even at the fucking school. The stupid green screen with the BLM and child block letters. Oh, that was such like, bullshit. As if, as if, as if they couldn't be patronizing enough. And then interspersed, like, a ten minute segment about VAWA to be like, just, just to drive the metaphor of like the Democratic Party being like in it having everyone in an abusive relationship. Let's just make the subtext text on that one with like a ten minute segment about how Joe Biden fought, you know, as champion of abused women or whatever. You know, even though he's a predator in his own right. Yeah, it was it was fucking bleak. So I can totally understand like, yeah, the RNC is, you know, a horror show, but at least it's a show. Right. I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, I also wanted to say, you know, like the other someone else who got a speaking set at the uh, at the RNC is the state attorney general of Kentucky, who's supposed to be impartial, who still hasn't charged the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. So, I mean, who but did charge 87 people with felonies for protesting at his house. Um <laughs> So yeah, there's that. Um, also, I suppose. Oh, uh, sorry, but like, also Tucker Carlson adding on to what you said, told Fox News, Fox News, that Rittenhouse quote decided to maintain order when no one else would. So there you yep, go. Yep, he he did what he had to do. Yeah, you know that that I, whatever not whatever Nazi that was writing for Tucker Carlson's show that got outed you know they they found next one he doesn't chase him he replaces him and you know there's plenty more in the pipeline and can i also just say i want to get this off my chest because the hills rising uh sauger and jetty like when they were talking about uh the the fucking nazis and racists who got outed at at tucker carlson's show and sauger and jetty was basically trying to say like oh it wasn't that bad fuck fuck you like fuck fuck (laughs) fuck you dude fuck you <laughs> fuck off let us just it's, it's like because there's some people on the left who are like oh we should have like a coalition between right-wing populists and in left-wing populists that's, that's that like is the, so the most fucking, idiotic shit i've ever this heard is the dumbest fucking thing just there's a lot of dumb things but that is probably one of the stupidest things that you could argue if you're on the left like i'm sorry like this like we're gonna have a coalition between racist yeah. and anti-racist well well they think that like right-wing populism is not just fascism when that's what it is right that's all so it's something else it's it's just like i mean yeah like i had i had to um, i'm gonna say that yeah the hills rising uh, out is, and i'm saying it's because C- tucker carlson is straight up saying justifying what this kid did and to see like sauger and jetty on the hills rising try to sugarcoat and whitewash like the racism at tucker carlson fuck you fuck off you suck there yeah he's a he's a total hack um yeah. you know i don't i don't yeah, you know i remember i think in that segment he talked about like how you know he, i mean the reason he works for the hill is because he couldn't get a gig at fox news he tried to act like he was better 
you know, or like he had that show because he's more, um, <laughs> you know, moral or whatever. It's like, nah, dude, you if if Carlson called, you would come running. So don't don't act like you, what you're doing is important. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So we're at an hour. Um, <laughs> B- before I forget, I just want to make one. Uh quick but i think important update about the california wildfires they're like i said earlier they're they're getting more contained but one thing that i think is important that california finally starting to fucking realize is that um so there's an npr story and it's been covered elsewhere that uh the headline is to manage wildfire california looks to what tribes have known all along which is basically so wildfires <laughs> are a natural part of California's ecosystem and yet the burn certain dry vegetation to allow other other plants and, and vegetation to grow. Yeah, that's how, that's that's how you end up with 4000-year-old sequoias. Right. is because indigenous people like were stewarding the land and it's like yeah, controlled burns like clear out underbrush that allow old growth tree old growth forests to happen and <laughs> You know, idiot settlers show up and just are like, "What? Why would they do that?" You know. Yeah. Speaking of idiotic <laughs> Western settlers, this is from the NPR story. Uh, when Western settlers forcibly removed tribes from their land, I think this is so NPR forcibly removed anyway uh, mm-hmm. tribes from their mm-hmm. land and banned religious ceremonies. Cultural burning largely disappeared. Instead, state and federal authorities focus on swiftly extinguishing wildfires. But fire suppression has only made California's wildfire risk worse. Without regular burns, the landscape grew thick with vegetation that dries out every summer, creating kindling for the fires that have recently destroyed California's communities. Climate change and warming temperatures make those landscapes even more fire-prone. So, Tribal leaders and government officials are forging new partnerships. State and federal land managers have hundreds of thousands of acres that need careful burning to reduce the risk of extreme wildfires. Tribes are eager to gain access to this to those ancestral lands to restore traditional burning. This is old land, good. So this is uh, um, Ron Good. He's the tribal chairman of uh, North uh, Fo- uh, North Folk Mono. Um, uh, he tells the circle, it's been in use for thousands and thousands of years, and so what we're doing out here is restoring life. And there's another article in the con- conversation, con- the the website, the conversation, that pointed this out that really just stuck out to me. It said, um, while me- while many view climate change as the major driver of today's megafires, one 2016 study demonstrates how Euro-American colonization caused the largest shifts in fire behaviors in California over the past 400 years. In other words, the genocide of indigenous peoples directly relates to today's catastrophic burning. Peter, didn't you say in the last episode about the wildfire? Yeah, about, like, I, I said something like that where I was like, because it had clicked to me. I'm like, don't they, isn't there a way around this? How does this keep happening every year? Right. And it's been happening like every year for like 200 years. And it's like... Ah, you know, it's like the Dust Bowl. It's the exact same thing or where, like, just total, you know, no, I mean, look, I'm not any sort of land use expert, but it's like some stuff you could see coming a mile away. And it's, yeah, you know, the Dust Bowl is like, yeah, they literally just tore up all the, like, soil and then just, you know, did monoculture. And then the Dust Bowl was all that soil that was loose because I think they pulled out all the weeds or something. 
um then it just blew <laughs> around and destroyed everyone's crops um right i i it's funny i bring that up because i feel like i'm in a fucking steinbeck novel with all this shit um while <laughs> we're on the topic i guess i also just want to boost something um nick tilson who's a member of the Oglala Sioux Nation, uh, led some of the protests. You remember, like, in July 3rd when Trump, like, had a rally near Mount Rushmore and there were people, lead, indigenous people, leading the protest against it, um, trying to block the roadways. Uh, he got hit with felony charges. Um, and so there's a legal defense fund slash bail for him um this is obvious this is like an obvious case of you know <laughs> political repression um and you know we want to see our indigenous comrades uh you know free and out and able to continue fighting so support uh nick tilson um <laughs> and you know tell him to drop the charges obviously because um, they just added another felony charge, you know, and and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be more criminalization like like, you know, we're talking about like the next Red Scare or whatever. I mean, that's already happening. It isn't as much of like a public thing. You know, there isn't like, you know, there aren't like dragnet shows about it yet, but there will be. Um, <laughs> and. You know, the repression is happening. The civil war is happening. Like, the whole thing's happening. It's happening now. And, you know, I was talking to a comrade today, and I was saying basically just like, you know, the Democrats aren't going to get better. Capitalism's not going to get better. The police aren't going to get better. We have to get better. Um, yeah. Because that's it's the only it's the only choice. Um it's the only way we're we're gonna move forward, um, and I, possibly out of this hell hellscape timeline. I I um I retweeted a, a um, Nick Tilson's quote, which I think is is well stated. I believe in a future that includes black reparations and indigenous lands back to indigenous indigenous hands. You can't just t tweet Black Lives Matter or Land Back. You have to help us achieve what that really means. I think that's well stated, and also um global pan-africanism network i mean like it's a pan-africanist organization but one thing that uh we do believe in is the necessity for solidarity with all indigenous peoples across the world and i want to uh give a plug to the um uh free west papua campaign um that uh gpan is in solidarity so yeah we're in solidarity with um the campaign to uh, free the people of West Papua because, and also um, I think this would be definitely a really good episode to dig into because. Um, oh yeah. Even, the history of West Papua is, is out there. Yeah. And also not even just, but like the, the anti-black racism that indigenous peoples in West Papua and New Zealand and Australia face, because even though technically they are not of African ancestry the way like African Americans are. Um, we are still black and still face very, very real and similar forms of anti-black oppression. And so, um, 
Yeah, I definitely. Uh, I I was on and I was at an RBG conference that was uh, virtual, and there was an activist from from the West Papua campaign. So I have his contact, and I want to I want to try to get him on to the podcast to talk about the campaign to free West Papua. But I would love to do an episode sometime in the future, um, digging deeper into West Papua and also the 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 racism that uh, Black people, Indigenous peoples face in places like yeah like west papua australia and new zealand and also how to actually build solidarity between africa the african diaspora and black people in west papua um australia and new zealand and and that's yeah like when it comes to vision in terms of ways to move forward that i think like that kind of solidarity i think is 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 part of um making a world that is much better than the one we're in right now from Kenosha to West Papua. <laughs> yep, and and uh, and yeah, definitely solidarity with Nick Tilson. Um, I really hope he he gets free. And um, uh, yeah, like I uh, global black liberation and indigenous liberation, <laughs> those things go hand in hand. There's no question about it. Um, I I I don't think you can refute that. And so yeah, pan pan Africanism and indigenous indigenous liberation, those are. Yeah, those are two tandem fights that that are very very important, and I think it's important to stre- strengthen solidarity between those two communities. So that's something we're about on this <laughs> on this podcast. By the way, we're definitely yeah. about Black liberation and Indigenous liberation. And I want to say what Nick Tilson said again. I believe in a future that includes Black reparations and Indigenous lands back to Indigenous hands. You can't just tweet Black Lives Matter or land back. You have to help us achieve what that really means. And he's 1,000% right. Like, those words really, really mean something. And you have to help us black people and indigenous people achieve what that really means. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. Uh, shout out to the players of the Milwaukee Bucks for refusing to take the court in solidarity with the protest that caused basically the whole NBA, which shouldn't be playing in the first place. Right. Um, to, you know, su- suspend all their games. Apparently they're in the playoffs now. Who knew? Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's there There are new forms of player organizing. Uh, the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled their football seasons, thank God, uh, because players organized. And that's going to be something, you know, that I think there's going to be more of in the future as, you know, professional athletes kind of recognize their value and their and you know kind of the position they hold and you know their new forms of organizing will are going to be popping up because we don't have a choice but to have them pop up right so yeah uh, and yeah, and, think... yeah and that's also like i mean just to wrap up like that's definitely what our podcast is about and why we created this not not just to talk about the things that are going on in the world but also provide real you know movement activist shit and uh ways people can get involved and express solidarity with people who are you know doing the real shit and uh you know to continue doing a fight and also um uh i'm i'm involved in a local campaign to push for ethnic studies in my local community and um that that fight is um we got a a small victory in the school board the school board uh, did agree um you know they liked our presentation for ethnic studies but um that's i don't want to get too into it but the fight is going to intensify because the real battleground is you know 
having a robust ethnic studies program versus something that's very, very watered down. So um, that also speaks to black and indigenous solidarity because, yeah, having a decolonized education system is really, really important. So um, that, yeah, that campaign is still going on and uh, I'll definitely be talking more and more about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, Anything else, Peter? Or like, I, 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 I think that's it for tonight. Um, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, keep the faith and stay dangerous. Later. Peace.